I am very excited about this upcoming week and a half. We've got a lot of activity going on, but it's really, uh, it's great activity. It's exciting for the life of our church. I know as many of you know, uh, I was involved in a drama team when I was attending college. I've always loved drama. I've loved the stage. And so I am really excited about Wednesday night's presentation to have such a a top quality uh, actor come and to bring this story alive for us. I think it's just going to be one of those things that draws you in and you forget where you are. Uh, And so I'm really excited about Wednesday night. And uh, yeah, I hope all of you are as well. And I hope we make it a point to, to be inviting people or reminding people of that on Wednesday night. I'm also looking forward to Saturday morning. Uh, uh, Some of you remember last year I did an interview with Zoe and Felicia um, talking about their experiences as refugees and so we're going to be doing a a similar thing with the Kaduri family. Of course this will be through a translator. I've not yet learned Swahili well enough to do that myself. So we're going to have a translator present. His name is Basawa. He's a teacher from Brandon and he's a really dynamic guy as well. So you're really going to enjoy hearing uh, the Kaduri's story. I think every time I hear their story or bits and pieces of it, um, Zoe and William, any other refugees I've heard, I think every single one of them could be turned into a book because the, the things they've been through in their lives are just, it's just mind-boggling what they've experienced and how long this journey has been for them to come here to Clarny. So uh, you're going to enjoy that. And I think it's going to be eye-opening as well. So... There's going to be pancakes. You can't, can't go wrong, 9.30 Saturday morning. And, uh, and then a little bit past that Tuesday, uh, Halloween's the food drive. And so I'm looking forward to that again. And uh, as always, volunteers make it all possible. So um, if you're a parent and you've got younger kids, uh, feel free to do it as a family. You know, they can put their costumes on and get candy, and you can grab the, the food on the way by too. That all works. We're really adaptable that way. So, um, yeah, sign up. We need a lot of different volunteers in the different things, and and we look forward to helping the food bank uh, here in our town. So with all that being said, let's let's bow our heads in prayer as we prepare to go to God's word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are in control of our lives. You are in control of the affairs of this world, and all of creation listens to you. And so we thank you, Lord, that even in our troubled world, we still look to you as the one who is in control. Father, this morning we all come from different places. We carry different concerns, different worries, um, different ambitions, and and different uh, things going on. And so all of these things, Lord, we bring to you as your people, and we lay them down before you. We lay our burdens down, we lay our worries down, and we ask you, Lord, to take them from us. We ask, Lord, that you would encourage us by your Holy Spirit and by your word this morning, that we would leave here today feeling uplifted, that we would leave here feeling stronger in our faith, in our walk with you, and feel challenged to live it out in a fuller way. And so we ask for this, Lord. Father, this morning we also want to pray in advance for this upcoming week. We thank you for the church's missions committee who has worked so hard in preparing these things. And so we pray, Lord, that you would bless uh, their efforts with a great response. We pray that for Wednesday evening, the presentation we know is going to be powerful. We ask you to bless and anoint it. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit and through us, that many would come and uh, really take in uh, this presentation, Lord. And so we pray that it would have a great impact. Uh, we, we, we ask, Lord, that there could truly be life-changing impact. We pray as well for Saturday that... Uh, 
that'll be a meaningful time. We pray that you would be with the Kajuris as they share from the heart and uh, just calm any nervousness that they may have and just pray that we would receive and uh, really appreciate um, what you've done in their lives and as well appreciate a little bit more of what you've blessed us with here in Canada. With that, Lord, we thank you for our nation of Canada. We thank you for the freedom we have here. We thank you that we can proclaim your name, Jesus, freely, without fear, that we can gather and worship you without fear and with boldness. And so we pray, Lord, that we would use this platform and opportunity in history to make the most of it and to shine your light wherever we go. So please help our witness, Lord, as a church and as individuals as we go out in your name to shine your light well and that others would see and be attracted to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so please help us to that end, Lord. We thank you for our children in our church, Lord. We thank you for all of the new babies. We thank you for the parents who are nurturing and raising them to know you. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless them with strength, with energy, with patience, and with much wisdom and love as they raise these children. Help us as a church family as well to be a part of raising these children. And as we share one another's burden, we fulfill your command. And we pray, Lord, that your church should be built up. So thank you, Lord, for these children. And now, Lord, as we go into your word, we pray that you would open it to our, to our minds to understand. We pray that our hearts would receive and that we would then go out and be the hands and the feet that you have called us to be in your name. Speak through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been on a brief hiatus from our series entitled The Church, but we're going to resume this morning with part five, doing what we were designed to do. I appreciated that earlier in the service, Vern, you referenced our mission statement here this morning. And if we were to, to have a summation of what we as a church are called to do, it can be summed up in these four statements. Serving with our hands, loving with our hearts, showing Christ's love, and growing God's family. And we're going to be focusing in a little bit more on number three, showing Christ's love this morning. There's a story told of a mother and a baby camel who are talking one day when the baby camel asks his mother, Mom, why have I got these huge three-toed feet? To which the mother replies, Well, son, when we trek across the sands of the great deserts, your toes will help you stay on top of the soft sand instead of sinking in. A few minutes later, having pondered this response, the young camel then asks, Mom, why have I got these long eyelashes? Well, they are, they are to keep the sand out of your eyes when the wind blows on the trips through the desert, the mother replied. Well then, Mom, why have I got these great big humps on my back? What are these for? Well, son, they are there to help us store up water for our long treks across the desert where there is no water. So we can go without drinking water for long periods, days, and even weeks. Well, he thought about this for a little while, and then finally said, let's see if I've got this right. We've got these huge three-toed feet to stop us from sinking. We've got long eyelashes to keep the sand out of our eyes, and we've got these massive humps on our backs to store water for all these long treks across the desert. Yes, dear, you've got it all figured out. That is correct, the mother camel replied. So then, Mom, why are we living in the San Diego City Zoo? (laughs) It's a fair question, isn't it? It's a fair question. Why are we living in the San Diego City Zoo when we were designed, created for long treks across the desert? 
Because after all, if God designed the camel for these long treks across the desert, then it's completely out of its element sitting in the confines of a zoo. The camel's incredible abilities are not being put to full use in this controlled environment. In a similar way, in a similar way, God has designed each church and each believer within that body. He has designed us with incredible gifts and abilities that are suited, if you will, for those long desert treks in order to be put to full use. But if the God-given abilities are not being put to use, we, like the camel, end up with the question, why are we living in the zoo when we were designed to traverse the open desert? Why are we living in the safe confines of our Christian circles when we were designed by God to carry the light of Jesus into the dark corners of this world? And if we are, if we are honest and we're asking ourselves these questions, we realize something, that we are only truly fulfilled if we are doing what we were designed to do. For just as God designed the camel to travel the desert, God has designed the church, the ecclesia, the gathering of the body of Christ. He has designed us to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to those who don't yet know him. And just as the young camel was not truly satisfied living in the zoo, the Christian soul cannot be truly satisfied apart from being used to do the very thing they were designed to do. So let me tell you this today. If you find yourself, if you find within yourself any sense of dissatisfaction at how you are currently living your life, if you find within yourself any nagging thought that you may be missing out on something bigger, something grander that God wants for you, let me suggest that the reason you may have that nagging doubt or feeling within you is because there is that God indeed does have something more in store for you individually and for us collectively as a church body. But to obtain this, this greater thing, this grander thing that God has for us, the first thing we need is to desire it. We have to desire what God wants for our lives more than we desire what we want for our lives. We have to desire God's plan more than we desire anything else in this life. The psalmist David, he, he, he cultivated this desire within him, and we see it throughout the psalms. One of those psalms you, you'll know quite well is where he sang this to the Lord. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Here he has this, this analogy, this metaphor of a deer having come across a long trek and is looking for that stream of water in a dry and weary land, and he's panting for it. His tongue is hanging out, and when he gets there, he is so satisfied. This is how the psalmist's soul longed after God. The desire was so powerful. So let me ask you, how much do you desire to be popular, or powerful, or successful at school, or business or farming or whatever it is you do how much you desire to succeed at those things how much do you desire a, a new car or a new tractor or a comfy retirement on the beach how much do you desire those if you were to put them on a scale of one to ten would it be a would it be a nine would it be a four where would it be where would you put your desire for those things and then let me ask you this and be honest 
Do you desire what God has for your life more than those things? Wherever you put those things on the scale, if it was a 9, then do you desire God as a 10? Is that the ultimate desire in your life? Because get this, God desires his very best for you. But do you desire God's very best for yourself? So we need to desire what God has for us. The second thing we need to do to obtain the very best that God has planned for us is always the same, obey. We have to obey his instruction. There can simply be no fulfilling Christian life and no possible way to rise above a zoo-level existence apart from obeying God's instructions. And what is God's primary instruction to the church? Well, as one man has put it, it is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. Or if we were to summarize the Great Commission, it would be this. Wherever you are and wherever you go, be in the business of making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey Christ. This is the business of the church. This is what we collectively, the ecclesia, this is what we were designed for. And if we were to do anything else other than what we are designed for, we are missing something. We are doing something less than what we were designed to do. And so if the primary business of the church is to make disciples, how do we do that? How do we go about this ultimate and important business? Well, we do it by using all means, abilities, and influence at our disposal to convey this single truth. And that truth is this, that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. All of us, there's no exceptions. That God loved us anyways, in spite of us falling short. He loved us anyways, and he sent Jesus Christ, his son, down from heaven, taking on the form of a man, to save us from our sins by dying a sacrificial death on the cross in our place. And that by then rising from the dead, he broke the power of sin and death. And by faith, we too will rise with him unto eternal life. This is the summation of the gospel. This is what it's all about. The gospel of Christ must remain central to the message in the life of the church. Apart from sharing the message of the cross of Jesus Christ, there simply is no church and can be no Christians. In 1961, the communist-controlled government of Poland ordered all crucifixes to be removed from classroom walls, just as they had already done, banning them in factories, hospitals, and other public institutions. While Catholic bishops attacked this ban that had stirred waves of anger and resentment all across Poland, ultimately the government relented, insisting that the law remain on the books, but agreeing not to press for removal of the crosses particularly in classrooms. But in 1984, one zealous communist school administrator in a city of Garwalin decided that the law was the law, it must be enforced. And so one evening, he went in and had seven large crucifixes removed from the lecture walls from where they had hung since the school's founding many years earlier. Days later, a group of parents entered the school and replaced the crosses that had been removed with more crosses. The administrator promptly had those taken down as well. 
This went on and on for some days. Crucifixes being removed, more being put up. Finally, after this had gone on for some days through the course of the week, he had removed the last of the crosses and had burned them in the parking lot. The next day, two-thirds of the school's 600 students staged a sit-in. When heavily armed riot police arrived, the students were forced out into the streets. Then they marched, crosses held high to a nearby church, where they were joined by 2,500 other students from nearby schools for a morning of prayer in support of the protest. Soldiers proceeded to surround the church, but the pictures from inside of students holding each one of them a cross high above their heads flashed around the world. So did the words of the priest who delivered the message to the weeping congregation that morning, and this is what he said. There is no Poland without the cross. There is no Poland without the cross. In an even greater way, there is no church without the cross. You see, the moment that a church stops showing and sharing Christ's love poured out on the cross of Calvary for the world, the moment we cease to make that our primary focus is the moment that we cease to be the church. If we were to stop proclaiming the message of the cross, we may as well just head home right now. We may as well just lock up the doors, close up shop for good. Because without the message of Jesus and him crucified, we become nothing more than any other charitable organization or social club. Yes, there's some good and some benefit from gathering as as people collectively. Yes, there's good in doing good, but apart from the cross, which is about salvation. Because you see, as, as another very wise man said, Jesus didn't just come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men alive. We're not just here to better people. No, we are here to save people's souls. There's a massive difference between self-betterment and transformation from death unto life. This is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, we must hold it high. We must let nothing and no one stop us from holding the cross of Christ high in every sphere of our lives. Because in it is the power over, over death. In it is the power over sin and Satan and destruction. And in it is the power to transform lives, heal families, and indeed alter the course of entire nations, just as it did in Poland. Now, of course, most of us already believe and know all of this already. But we must ask ourselves, and I must ask myself, with how much urgency, how much intentionality, And how much passion are we seeking to share this truth of the gospel with the people around us who don't yet know Jesus as Savior and as Lord? Are we giving it all we've got? One of the men who no one could ever accuse of not giving it everything he had was the Apostle Paul. And in Colossians 1 verses 28 and 29, Paul shared both the passion and the purpose of his life. Listen to what he he wrote. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect, mature in their relationship to Christ. 
That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So like Paul, can we honestly say that we are giving it all we've got? Can we say we tell others about Christ and we are striving with all the gifts and wisdom God has given us, we're giving it all we've got, and we're depending on his power within us? Can we agree with his statement this morning? One of my favorite stories, I've shared it once before, but it's one of my favorite stories, and it's of a village atheist many, many years ago, in a simpler time, before cars and all that kind of thing, And this village atheist who, not surprisingly, had no interest in church or going to church. And of course, in his village, there was only one church. And by anyone's description, this church was cold and lifeless. Basically, a social club where people went to meet with their friends, feel good about themselves, and look good before others in the town. That yes, they were a good church-going person. But within this church, there was very little passion for God. The very little desire to share the good news of the gospel with others. They were very content with what they were doing. But one day, the church building caught on fire, and the cry went up throughout the village. The church is burning! The church is burning! And everyone in town ran towards it to establish the bucket brigade to help extinguish the flames, including the village atheist. Soon, someone noticed the village atheist in the bucket brigade helping pass along the buckets to put out the fire in the church, and they saw the atheist and thought they'd give him a shot and hollered out so everyone could hear, hey, this is something new. It's the first time we've ever seen you running to the church. To which the village atheist replied, well, this is the first time I've ever seen the church on fire. Burn. The reason I love that story is because it's a very convicting story, and it convicts me every time I've read it and shared it. Has Clarny ever seen the church on fire? And I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the ecclesia, the body of Christ, which is the gathering of followers of Jesus Christ, and that's you and me in his name. Has the community ever seen you and me, the church, burning brightly for Jesus Christ? Have the skeptics and the cynics and the atheists ever come running just to see if it could be true? And sadly, many of us, whether here or elsewhere, have experienced times where the church does feel cold and lifeless. And sure, people are still doing things just like before, but their hearts aren't in it. They're just going through the motions. People stand to sing and their lips form the words, but there's no inner passion for the Lord, no enthusiasm that would indicate to anyone what would happen if we actually meant what we were singing. That these people are burning brightly for the one they profess to worship, love, and serve. Would anyone come running to see if it could be true? It can become a place where no one really expects anything to happen. And from one week to the next, no one really expects God to show up. No one truly believes that anything powerful or life-changing will happen. No one believes that sinners will be saved or that the lost will be found. And, And so we just keep going through the motions. And we adjust our attitudes and our spirits accordingly. And and it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. 
Because almost without exception, but there are a few exceptions, but almost without exception, wherever the church expects God to do nothing, that's exactly what they will get. Nothing. And sometimes, what may have once been the biggest fire, the the most raging inferno of faith that anyone's ever seen, sometimes that fire diminishes and it begins to burn down. And this can happen corporately and it can happen personally. I think all of us can look back in our lives and remember a time where you'd say, what is the one singular moment you remember where, where you were just on fire, to use the cliche? You were on fire for Jesus. You were burning brightly. What was that moment? How would you rank it on a scale of 1 to 10? Would you put it in a 9, a 10, an 8? And where would you rank yourself right now? Would you say, I'm there, I'm still there, I'm burning brightly, or am I a little diminished? Am I burning down a little bit? Well, that happens, the ebb and flow of life That's normal. And so it's up to us to keep throwing logs on the fire, to keep stoking the flame so it will not burn out. Because if we don't do that, and we adjust our spirits and our attitudes to expect nothing other than a little flickering, smoldering fire, that's all we're ever going to get. And we see an example of this type of church in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And here, of course... Jesus gives a message to the seven churches. And here, the church of Ephesus, the Lord Jesus gives them this warning. And he says to them that though they're still going through all the right motions, they're still doing the the good deeds, they're, they're working hard, and they're persevering, even in the face of some persecution. He says, yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. And then he warns that if you don't repent of this forsaking of your first love, I will come and remove your candlestick from you. In other words, I will remove your witness. Your church is going to shut down. Forsaken their first love is clearly saying that their passion and love for Jesus had come down to a little smoldering pile. There wasn't much left to it. It was all but gone. And when passion and love for Jesus are gone, the fire is gone. And it doesn't matter if they're still going through the motions of obedience, because all that anyone would see if they were to look closely is an unlit candlestick. And what good is a candlestick if it's not burning? There's no warmth, there's no light. And Jesus tells them that unless they repent and allow him to reignite their flame, reignite their passion, reignite their love for him... He would come and remove their witness altogether. And so basically, what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus all those years ago, I think it still applies. And what he's saying is this. Jesus would rather have no church in a community than a church that is not burning. What about your personal life? Is your candle of faith burning brightly or flickering? If it is flickering or diminished in any way, then listen to Jesus' words from Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Speaking to his disciples, he says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. My friends, it is it is dangerously easy for Christians to hide their light away. 
It is so easily done and so easily justified. Little realizing that as they are doing it, the flame begins to flicker. And the longer we hide it, the, the further we tuck it into the corner or put it under the bushel. You know, if, if, if you deprive oxygen to a flame, what happens? It's going to burn up whatever's left inside and it's eventually going to go out altogether. And if you're hiding your light away, and all the while you've got this inner nagging feeling that I'm missing something. I feel like I was designed for something more than this. Well, there's your answer. You were designed to put your light on its stand. That's what you were designed to do. And if you're hiding it away and you feel dissatisfied, that's the Holy Spirit saying to you, yeah, because something's not right. Hold that light high. Hold the cross high. Do not hide it away. Because make no mistake about it. If you are not influencing the world for Christ, then the world is influencing you. If you are stuck in neutral and going nowhere fast, no matter how hard you're revving that engine, has anyone ever done that? You ever seen anyone do that where they've got their big muscle car and they've got it in neutral and they want to impress you so they press on the gas and whoom, whoom. It makes a lot of noise. There's a lot of smoke. But where's that car going? Nowhere in a hurry. Right? And that's what we so often do in our Christian lives. We're stuck in neutral, or we're foots tramped on the gas, we're making a lot of noise, and there's a lot of smoke, but we're not actually going anywhere. We're just going through the motions. When we're in that position, let me just warn all of us, that is right where Satan wants us to be, stuck in neutral. Because when we're stuck in neutral, we're no threat to him. Not only are we no threat to him, but we're a sitting duck for temptation and attack. The one and only way to live a truly fulfilled life, I am convinced, the one and only way to live a fulfilled, satisfying life, one that is all that God has intended it to be, is to do the very thing God, your creator, has designed you for. And that is to shine the light of Jesus brightly, wherever and with whomever you are with. Without apology, you don't need to apologize for putting your light on its stand where it belongs. You don't need to apologize for holding up the cross even when the world is saying, put that cross away. No, don't apologize for it. Don't be ashamed. What did Jesus say about those who would be ashamed of him in this corrupt and perverse generation? He said, I'll be ashamed of them before the angels in heaven. Don't be ashamed, my friends. Don't be ashamed of the cross because it is through the cross that our salvation is secured and we have been brought from death unto life. And so shine the light of Jesus brightly wherever you go and with whomever you're with so that the truth of Christ may be made known that through God's work and the Holy Spirit souls can be saved, disciples will be developed, baptized, taught, and sent out in the name of Christ to repeat the cycle. And through this all, God our Father is glorified. I'll close with this story about Robert Louis Stevenson, the famous author. When as a child, Robert was in very poor health. One night, he was quite sick, and his nurse found him. 
with his nose pressed up against the frosty pane of his bedroom window. It was winter time, and he was looking out through the, through the frosty window, and she said to him, Child, you're sick. Come away from there. You'll just catch your death of cold. It'll kill you. And she fussed about him, but young Robert would not budge from having his nose just pressed right up to that window pane, as young children love to do. And then she suddenly realized he was looking at something. He was looking intently. He was mesmerized, in fact, as what he was looking at was the old lamplighter working his way down their street. And he watched this old lamplighter slowly working his way through the black night, and one by one, he was lighting each street lamp along his route. See, look there, young Robert pointed. There's a man poking holes in the darkness. Poking holes in the darkness. I love that. He used that phrase the rest of his life. Go out and poke holes in the darkness. That's what we're designed to do. Just turn on the six o'clock news and what do you say? We live in a dark world. We're living in dark times. What do we do? Hunker down in the bunker? You know, what else is there? If things are so dark, what can we do? We got a lot we can do, my friends. We can go out with the light of Christ and poke holes in the darkness. The world may claim the church is of no use to them. Just go away. The world may say that Christians are no longer needed. Yet it is the light of Christ burning within us that is, in fact, holding back the darkness. It is the light of the church of Jesus Christ that is holding back the full onslaught of evil in this world that Satan would just love to unleash. A Christian's light is something not to be hidden, but to be seen. Secret discipleship does not exist in God's kingdom. A light under a bushel makes no impact. A Christian void of visible deeds of love, kindness, or compassion influences no one. But hear this. Your light matters. Your light matters. Do you hear this this morning? Your light matters more than you know. It really does. Your influence matters. Your presence or your absence makes a massive difference. Your light or your lack of light is felt by everyone around you, whether you realize it or not. Your family, your friends, all who enter your life will be better or worse off because of you. Are you poking holes in the darkness? We all know of dark situations. We all know people who are groping their way through life spiritually blind. We all know of situations that right now you know of that you could probably go and offer some help or some hope or just say, can I pray for you? There are situations that you know of right now where you could go and poke a little hole in that darkness. Followers of Christ, hear this loud and clear. Your life and your light make a difference. So may we individually and as a church body be able to agree wholeheartedly with the Apostle Paul who said, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect, mature in their relationship to Christ. 
That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Amen.